0: Revelation chapter number 11. I want you to look with me at verse number 7. The Bible says, And when they have finished their testimony, and we were talking about, if you remember, you've been here the last couple of weeks, we talked about one book, two witnesses, and three measurements for the last three weeks. And these are talking about the two witnesses. The Bible says, When these two witnesses have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, talking about the Antichrist, shall make war against them, talking about these two witnesses. And he shall overcome them, and look at what's going to happen to these two witnesses of God. Kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord Jesus, or our Lord, was crucified. And they of the people in kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, three and a half days. Look at this. And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. They're just going to be out there in the streets. That is such a horrible sight to even think about. And the Bible says, and they that dwell upon the earth, look at this, shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one, one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life of God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Amen. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour there was a great earthquake, that the tenth part of the city and the earthquake uh, were slain of men, seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Let's pray together, Lord, as we Look at the scripture. We need you. We need you to help us understand, God, we don't need any man or woman in here to give us any kind of wisdom or discernment. And Lord, I hope that the people that have come here today to worship you and to praise you, that they've not come in order to hear Steve's take on this or to hear Steve's discernment on this. God, it will only be by the discernment and the Holy Spirit of God and the wisdom that you give. It'll only be by us being connected to you, not being connected to a voice or connected with an ear, but it will be being connected in the heart and in the spirit, Lord, that we would understand these things. Lord, we ask you, that you just please, Lord, speak to us. Please speak to us like never before. God, may this message be one that is an impacting message, Lord, so that it would just be so impactful in their lives that they would never forget these words. Now, God, this is not, we know, the John 3.16s and the 1 John 5 and 7s and the 1 Peter's, or We know that it's not that. It's not that one that seems like so simple and so easy and so encouraging. This is difficult. It's difficult for us to understand, but help us to know that it's because it's future. It's something that will happen later. That God, it also be something that will happen to us all. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Christ's name, we ask it together. Amen. If you would, while you're being seated, listen, I just want you to kind of look in those few verses. And I'm going to go probably quicker than I've ever really gone uh, in the past. And I want to show you some things because I want to get toward the end of it all. But the first thing that I want to show you is that their ministry was reserved. Their ministry was reserved. And what that means is, is that God had a ministry for these two witnesses. And they were not going to be finished until God was finished with their testimony. Bible says in that very first verse that we read, look at verse number 7. What does it say? And when they had finished their testimony. When they had finished and wrapped up their testimony. Listen, our calling and our ministry, listen, is not just our own directive, or our own thoughts of what we should do, but our calling... And our ministry, and I don't talk about me as a pastor or you as a deacon or you as a preacher or you as a Sunday school teacher or you as a nursery worker. Our calling in Christ, I'm talking about everybody in here that says, I know I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, okay? Everyone in here, we have a directive. We have a calling. We have a mission that is before us. It is not to let other people do all the mission work. It is for us to do all of the work that God's called us to do. You know what we've done when we give our lives to Christ? We talked about it this past Wednesday. We have said, Lord, you are the ruler. You are Lord of our lives now, so therefore you have total control. My life is not mine. Paul says the life that I now live, I live in Christ. It's not me, but it's Christ that lives in me. The Bible says we're bought with a price. That in other words, it's not our own. And so what we've done when we come to Christ to get saved, it's not fill out a card, fill goodism get baptized, do all these things. When we truly are saved and come to Christ, we are saying, Lord, we know that apart from you, we don't have life. And apart from you, we'll never have eternal life. And apart from your son, Jesus Christ, dying for our sins, we would still be condemned and dead in our trespasses of sins. And therefore, we're throwing ourselves before you saying that you become the Lord of our lives. It's not just simply asking, okay, God, you know, forgive me of doing this and that, and, and, and saying, okay, well, I repeated a prayer. It's about you totally surrendering your life to God. And when you do that, you have enlisted into God's ministry or God's army. The Bible tells us, God, Paul told Timothy over and over, endure hardness as a good soldier of the cross. He told him, do not entangle yourself with the affairs of this world again because a soldier doesn't do that, doesn't entangle themselves because when they're in battle, they need to have their minds clear and they need to have their minds right. And he says what in Ephesians chapter 6? When you join in the military, you are issued fatigues, you are issued certain things. The Bible says unto you that you have what? You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have that belt of truth. You have all of these things. But the Bible tells us in the next three sentences three things he says and take unto you the sword of the spirit and take unto you the helmet of salvation and take unto you all of these things the shield of faith so the bible says there's things were issued but there's also things that we've got to go and we've got to take those things and we must be trained in that See, so many people today, when they get saved immediately, they're brand new Christians, and they think that they're going to know everything. They think that their faith is going to be as strong as someone like May Dotson Brother Bill, or someone like like Billy Graham. And you don't become that overnight. You have to become that soldier of Christ by what? Enduring hardness and trials and things that come against you so that your faith can grow and get deeper. The Bible says that these people here, these two witnesses, they had a reserved ministry for the Lord. And what that means is, is that they were set aside for the use of God Almighty and his own will. I told the deacons this morning that a song that Sister Candace sings, and another lady that sings is that we are just the glove in which God places his hand. There's nothing special about you and I. We are just the glove that God places His hand into in order to use us. Amen. We're we're the tool that God picks up in order to accomplish His work and His will. And so these two witnesses, we've learned that they were protected. It says that their ministry would be 1,260 days or 42 months. And they were protected. Nothing could harm them. They were preaching the gospel and no one, no one could stop them. Amen. Right? You know, a lot of times today there are pastor friends, there are people that are fearful because they're afraid that someone may come in and try to stop them from preaching. There are people today, you don't understand as of last night, which will be our night, their daytime, there are people that woke up uh, on the other side of the world and they are actually being imprisoned because of them preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here we sit, we're allowed to come and to freely do these things, but yet even in our United States of America, there's also that danger factor of people coming in and trying to stop that. People coming in and trying to destroy what's going on. They come in during communion time, they come in during prayer time, and they try to do that why because evil is ever present with us evil is always there but listen we need to know that we're going to finish our ministry when God is finished with our ministry you know what you understand what I'm saying Lottie Moon said it like this she said I have a a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done you know what this lady did this lady started out by baking cookies for orphans There's so many people that say, Brother Steve, I can't do all that mission work. I can't do those things. She started baking cookies for the children. I'll tell you something. Our ministry is reserved. We have a thing that we can do for God. And some of you think that you're insignificant. Some of you are convinced by your everyday lifestyle that God can't use you where you are. I'm here to tell you today that you can be used every single place. Listen, if you are a principal of a school, if you are a worker at a steel factory, if you run a sewing machine, listen, let me tell you something. How many of you ladies in here like to sew and you have sewing machines? Anybody at all? Look at these ladies. And you know what? Satan would probably try to convince you that you, you're insignificant and that that is really not even a ministry at all. But I could tell you right now that if you wanted to, it could sign you up and you could go to Tapachula, Mexico and you could teach people that live in a dump right now how to sew because we're teaching them to sew and to make dresses and to make quilts and to make other things so that they could sell them so that they and their children will no longer have to live in a dump. And you say, well, bro, see, they don't live in a dump. They live in a D-U-M-P dump, eating garbage out of the dump, taking all of the things that are dumped in there and trying to build structures so that their children can be able to have shelter and other things. And you say, well, what could we do? You could teach somebody how to sew. We've taken six of the sewing machines down there, teaching them how to do those things. But see, Satan wants to convince us that we're insignificant. If he could do that to you, then you know what he's done? He has now stopped you as a Christian from sharing the gospel with others and fulfilling your ministry that God's reserved for you so that you won't do what? Reach anybody else. If he can't get your soul and he can't get your salvation and he can't get your life, you know what he'll do? He'll get the rest. You'll get the rest of them that you're going to influence. Well, Brother Steve, I'm a, I'm a teacher, or I'm this, and I can't really talk about the Lord. I can't do all of these things. I can't share this, I can't share that. We can. We have a ministry, and we are called by God and reserved by God to do it. These witnesses were not going down until God said, it's done. Now I want you to notice the second part of that scripture, it says the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, shall overcome them and kill them. And that seems like a really really big thing, but really and truly that's the only thing that talks, this is the first mention of that antichrist or that beast that comes up out of the sea and then the bottomless pit. We're not going to talk about him today because he has no importance, no significance. Later on in chapter 13 we'll talk about what his mission is but in this one this is all about those two witnesses. Their ministry number one was reserved. Number two, their message that they preached was rejected by many believed by many but rejected look what the bible says in verse number eight it says that and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city which spiritually is called sodom and egypt where also our lord was crucified you look at this and you'll see that their message was rejected their bodies are going to just lie in the street I mean, they're going to kill these people and let their bodies lie in the street for three and a half days, Brother Craig. They're going to lay there and decay with rigor mortis, with other... Listen, and it's just, you look at that and you go, how could that ever be? But I want you to look at what God says first. It says, their bodies shall lie, where? In the street of that great city. What it's talking about, it's talking about God's city. It's talking about Jerusalem, which is talking about the peace of Jehovah. Amen. He says it's going to lay in the street of that great... City. The city that is supposed to be known for what? Known of God by all peoples. There are people by the thousands that go there every year. They walk these streets. When we prayed at the rock in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was smoothed over from the anointing oil in every hands that have rubbed across that rock for a thousand years. Listen, the streets where Jesus walked, the Via De Rosa, where they have the markings where he fell here and possibly fell here, here and this is where he said this you walk those streets and I'm telling you those stones are smoothed over by the many feet that have shuffled because so many people are there and all you're doing is just shuffling behind somebody else while one way up in the front is carrying a cross while another group behind them is coming and carrying a cross again and all of this is going on the Bible says that there's going to be a time that in the streets of Jerusalem it's going to be so wicked that God's great witnesses sent from heaven are going to be slain and they're going to lay in the street of that great city. The Bible says, look at this, it says it's the great city. Brother Butch, what that means is, it's talking about from Old Testament when Jerusalem was founded as God's place and the children of Israel founded that as their home, promised land. Listen, the great city, but notice these words. God says it's like this. Look what God says about it. It says it's spiritually like Sodom and Egypt. He says it's spiritually like Sodom and Egypt and Egypt. he said Jerusalem has become so infected and affected with sin that it is now spiritually it's no different than the land of Sodom. Well, we understand the land of Sodom represents what was abominable, immoral, that was unrighteous and wicked, that they were living and pleasing their flesh. And the Bible says that God destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah along with it, right? Because why? Of their immorality, of because of their sinfulness, because of their abomin- abomination and their abominable living. They were living in such a lifestyle that they were only pleasing their flesh. The Bible says Jerusalem has become that kind of city. It says not only that, but it's come like the city of Egypt. What was Egypt known as? That was the nation that represented idolatry. They represented idolatry and oppression and slavery and suffering. Everything that we understand, looking at all the idols that kind of came to be, the golden calves, where did the children of Israel learn how to build a golden calf in the book of Exodus chapter 32? No, Aaron, we know, Moses went up on the mountain and was receiving the Ten Commandments of God, but Aaron, the high priest, the, it was supposed to be down there helping the children of Israel as Moses went away to get the word of God. And what did he do? He said, bring me the golden earrings and necklaces of all of your men and all of of your women. Bring them here. And the Bible says specifically that Aaron put them in the fire and that he made it into a molten calf and that he fashioned it with a graven tool. He fashioned the eyes, he fashioned the hair, and he made a golden calf. The Bible says Moses come off the mountain and they were actually in such sin that day that they were worshipping a false idol and they were having a wild fornication party at the base of that Mount Sinai and they were living in sin and the Bible says Says that Moses said, Aaron, what did you do to the people? And he said, Oh, I didn't do nothing. He said, I just, he said, they brought me their earrings and their gold necklaces. He said, I threw them in the fire. And you know what Aaron said? He said, And it came out this molten calf. You know, he's like a four year old that's been caught, right? He did it that way. God says, I want you to really notice this God says that his great city has now become no different spiritually than Sodom and Egypt. That's a sad condition. Even in a nation that we look at today, when we were the ones that were advancing the Christian faith, we now, church, are struggling to be that one that is the advancement of the Christian faith. Do you know that in your Southern Baptist Convention that we are at a seven-decade, 70-year seven year low in baptisms and reaching the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why? Because we are slowly and steadily moving away from holiness That's a word in the Bible, moving away from right living and living above reproach. See, there used to be these old preachers that used to stand up with cowboy boots, and they'd look at you and say, look at me at my God-given eyeball when I preach to you. You know what I mean? They wouldn't say, stay awake like I do. They'd go, look at me at my God-given eyeball. And they would tell you that you need to live above reproach. People go, what are you talking about? Is that like that bug when you turn the light on? Is that what a reproach is, you know, a roach? No, being above reproach means that you live your life in such a way that whenever people need to know about Christ, they can come to you. But yet when they're wondering if you're of Christ or not, they have no questions at all because you live above the reproach. Amen? You live above that to where you go. I'm not living the life that I used to live. And look at the last thing. This is probably the most heartfelt one to me. As he said, that great city that spiritually now is Sodom and Egypt. But then look at what he says, where our Lord was crucified what that says to me is that as if God didn't do enough in that great city called Jerusalem, that he sent his son, and his son walked up a hill called Calvary, and he laid down his life. Nobody took it. He laid down his life for the sins of the world in that great city. And even in that great city, Brother Brown, what I read when I look at this scripture is that the Lord is saying, even in that great city, they have moved their hearts away. And these two dead bodies of these witnesses are lying in the streets there for three and a half days. Here's the other thing, number three, their lives were ridiculed. They were mocked and made fun of. Listen, you make fun of somebody today and you mock someone today and everybody cries and everybody boo-hoos and we talk about the bully wagon and all this stuff and we're all just upset and everything because we're very, very sensitive. Everybody's sensitive today. And those of you that go, Brother I'm not sensitive. Yes, you are. I'm just talking about something and you're getting upset with me because, well, I'm not really sensitive. You know, we are. We're very high, hyper-sensitive people today. The Bible says that these men, they were ridiculed. They killed them. The Antichrist slew them, killed them, laid them in the streets. But listen what the Scriptures say, and we're going to look at verse number 9. It says, And they of the people of kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the grave. I want you to notice something. The Antichrist made war against them and killed them. But the people of the city were the ones that allowed their bodies to be out on display. Do you know what? I'll never forget where I was on September 11th when the trade towers and the planes hit the Pentagon and other places. I'll never forget, many of you will never forget, some of you are too young and you don't understand what we're talking about. I remember that day I had four storm doors to put in. I was an installer for Lowe's, and I remember I was on Maryvale down in Vestavia. I was listening to Rick and Bubba as they were explaining and talking about it. And Mark Prater was on there, and he said another one has just hit the... Uh, the other tower. And uh, I'll never forget that. I remember that even walking into Home Depot and Lowe's that there was this somber feeling. Everyone was looking around at their phones. Everyone was l- watching the TV. They were glued to it. And you could see everything happen. And if you remember that day, some of you that are older remember, that day they replayed these things for us. You know, we, we saw people that were fighting for their lives. They thought it would be better to actually jump. And, and instead of staying in there, we saw some horrible, horrible scenes. And, and I've got all of the Magazines and the articles and stuff saved up so that I could be able to share with my grandkids whenever they, they're here if we last that long. And uh, man, we saw some images of people that were just hurting. We saw an image of a priest that was being taken out, uh, carried out by a lot of people, a lot of death that day. But I'll never forget some of the images that I saw were from the other side of the world. Some of the images that I saw were flags that were being held up and the others that were being burned, and people were rejoicing. And they were happy because of what had happened. And you say, Brother Steve, we should just hate them, hate them, hate them, hate them. Listen, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. That's driven by the devil. That's driven by Satan, amen, and that's evil. That's evil to do those things. And I'll never forget people rejoicing about it. Because I could not comprehend in my mind... How that we could march and dance and do all this stuff through the streets. Look at what the Bible says about these two witnesses. It says that for three and a half days, the people of this city will not let their bodies be put into the graves. Look at the next part that it says. And they that dwell upon the earth, not just in the city, they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry. And look at this, Brother Andrew. And send gifts one to another because the two prophets tormented them. That dwell on the earth. It says that they're not only going to rejoice about it, but they're going to make merry and they're going to send gifts. To one another. But the Bible says this very clearly. It says that all that dwell upon the earth, they that dwell upon the earth, will see these things. Some of you go, listen, about probably 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, there are many of you that go, this could never happen. How could this happen? Maybe let's even go back even further than that. Maybe 30, 35 years ago, that could never happen. Listen, we could have church today by me being at home in my pajamas and I could stream that bad boy to every one of you and you could watch it on your phone and you could watch it on your laptop and you say, how could, Brother Steve? We could do that. Yes, there are people that are doing that right now. They stayed at home and did that, right? There's some of you that do that, right? We'll call it PJ Sunday, whenever you want. You, we laugh about it, but there, there are people that do that. There are churches that do that now and have that. We have drive-through confessional booths also, so you just don't have to get out of the car. Listen, we got all kinds of things, but we could be able to take a video and stream it all the way across the world, and everyone could see it. There's a friend of mine, Brother Stanley Kilgore, that goes to Belize. And years ago, 15, 20 years ago, they didn't even have service. He actually was going to preach a funeral of his one. He told him that he would commit to preaching his funeral because he was very, very a mentor and influential in his life. And he actually told me about how he was in Belize and he couldn't even get a call. And when he got back, he had already died and was buried and everything was over with. And he wanted to do that. Because, but now Brother Stanley is actually FaceTiming us this year from Belize into our church and into our phones and stuff. And listen, someday these two witnesses are going to be seen. They're going to be ridiculed. They're going to be mocked. All of this stuff's going to happen. There's a man by the name of Joseph Tissen. He's a missionary to Romania. He's actually one of Adrian Rogers' good friends. And uh, the communists tried to kill him. The communists came to him and told him these words right here. It says, Joseph, you don't knuckle under. We're going to kill you. We're just going to get rid of you right now. And Joseph Tisson said this. He said, before you kill me, all I want to say is that your chief weapon is killing, but my chief weapon is dying. And they said, what in the world do you mean? What, what are you talking about? And he said this right here. He said, if you sprinkle, he said, if you kill me, you will sprinkle every sermon I've ever preached with my blood. Every book that I've ever written will be sprinkled with my blood. And people will know that I love the Lord enough to die for him. So your chief weapon is killing, but mine is dying. And I just wanted to warn you that if you use yours, I'm going to use mine. Amen? Listen, we... Need to understand that if we lose our lives for the sake of the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ, we gain our lives. But if we hold our lives, then we actually lose our lives. The Bible says this. Here's the third thing that was noticed here is that their bodies are going to be revived. They were dead for three and a half days, but then verse number 11, the Bible says, and after three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear came upon them which saw them. They came back to life. Now, there's a lot of people that look at this, and they go, well, what's next, Brother Steve? Here's the last one. Y'all are already thinking, hold the phone. 11 52, Just stay with me. I got lots more. Amen? Their faith was rewarded. Their bodies were resurrected or revived, but their faith was rewarded. The Bible says in verse number 12, look at what it says, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. I want you to look at something. I want you to understand. There's some people that go, All right, Brother Steve, when does the rapture take place according to the word of God? According to the word of God, the rapture takes place A pre-tribulation. What that means is it happens before the tribulation happens. Some people go, well, how do you come to that conclusion? Because the rapture of the church is a mystery, a secret that was hidden that God says not all the world will understand and all the world will see, Right? It says that I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are asleep in Christ. It says if they sleep in Christ, it says they shall also be resurrected and raised in Christ in a twinkling of an eye at the trump, the, the the sounding of God. Amen. They'd go up. He also said what he said to comfort one another with these words. What kind of words? First Thessalonians chapter four. What did he say? He Said we shall not all sleep. Amen. He said, but we all shall be changed, is what he said in 1 Corinthians 15. But he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that they will be caught out. Amen. They will be resurrected and they will be caught out of here and to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This resurrection and this calling away, coming up hither, going up yonder, you know, whatever you want to call it, this going away is not one that's not visible. This one is very visible, and the Bible says, as they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, their enemies beheld them. Jesus ascended into the clouds in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 11. But the believers beheld Jesus as he went up, and they said the same Jesus you see going up will come again in like manner. The Bible says the rapture will take place to where the dead in Christ will rise, and then all those that are alive and remain in Christ will be caught up together in the air to meet the Lord, amen. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. And what is the twinkling of an eye? You want see it do it again? Huh? I'll do it again. Do you see it? It's twinkling of an eye. Do you see it? There it is. Over. No. It's fast. And what it means is, is that his sheep know his voice. When he calls the church home, he's calling us. And there will be a trumpet sound from Revelation chapter 4 of the voice of Jesus Christ saying, Come up hither, amen. And we will be gone. And the world will not understand it, brother Carl. But they will see graves emptied. They will see cars empty. And you can have mine, by the way. If you like my truck, you can have it if you're here drive the wheels off of it listen this one is visible not by believers not by God but their enemies beheld them why because of the next scripture this needs to take place the same hour there was a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God of heaven because the enemies needed to see that God's got power the enemies needed to behold that he is God. And listen, those that were witnessed to by those two witnesses and the 144,000 of every tongue, tribe, nation, and peoples, what happens is that there are many of them that believe and they do what? They give glory to God of heaven. But There's going to be many of them that are going to die in that day of judgment and there are actually going to be many of them that are not going to repent and they're going to be in this last portion of the tribulation listen we're a witness we're called to witness for god we have a reserved ministry and we also listen There are going to be people in your life that are going to reject you and they're going to ridicule you they're going to talk about you and they're going to mock you but we've got to remember one thing we aren't gaining our salvation we have salvation See, these two witnesses did not gain salvation and a reward of going to heaven because they witnessed for the Lord. No, we don't do it because we witness for the Lord. We witness for the Lord because we have salvation. We don't witness for the Lord in order to get salvation, but we witness because that's who we are. See, I don't understand, Brother Steve. If someone laid their life down for you today, you would follow them and just thank them. You would be appreciative and you would just say, man, I just want to tell if that happened to you, what would you do? You'd sit around with every one of your friends and tell them about this man or this woman and what they did. You would tell your family members what this person did for you. You would brag on them. If you, listen, today, if you would receive a kidney or a heart or any kind of organ from somebody, you would want to meet that person, person's you know, family and, and thank them. Why? Because of what that person did and giving up something so that you could have. That's what Jesus did. He gave up his life so that you could have life. Listen, before we close this morning, I want to tell you a story about a man by the name of Nate Saint. Nate Saint was born in the 1920s. Nate Saint was one, he he actually grew up and he attended Wheaton College. Uh, Actually, it's a college that Billy Graham uh, attended. And I think that Nate, if my story's right, was, was there about six years or seven years after Billy Graham attended college there. But Nate was a pilot. And uh, he, he would fly these what they call bush planes and small little like, a, I think they call them like Cessna, little airplanes and stuff. But he was a pilot. And uh, Nate thought that I need to do something for God. And someone came to him and convinced him that even him being a pilot, that that could be used for God. So Nate surrendered to the mission field. Nate in 1948 said, him and his wife Marjorie, and he called her Marge. He had a son by the name of Steve. Great name. <laughs> he said that we're going to go into the mission field. And they began to prepare and begin to pray about what God would have them to do. Nate wasn't the great speaker. But Nate hooked together with five other men, and uh, one missionary, his name's Jim Elliott. But they all hooked together, and Nate Saint said, you know, I don't have a whole lot of things. I don't have a whole lot of understanding, but what I do have is I have, I have a gift, and I have an ability of being able to fly this plane. And Nate wanted to reach the Akua Indians that were there, uh, especially one group. They were called the Waiadani or Waiarani. Um, This group of Indians that were there back in 1948 to 1956, they were so messed up that the actual government of Ecuador was going to come in and they were going to kill all of these uh, Wadani tribe and villages of them because all they did was just spear one another. If... If, if Craig and their family was part of another Akua Indian tribe and Andrew and their family was Wairani uh, then what would happen is if Craig killed one of his they always knew vengeance is Is that if you killed one we must kill one of yours and they would go in and spear one another with these eight foot spears they would carry around they would sharpen them and they would wax them so that it would pierce through the body these pe- these, these folks were very very uh, misunderstood they didn't have an understanding of God at all and, and these were the ones that used to take big huge plugs and they would place those huge wooden plugs in their ears and the bigger that they would grow it meant that their growth and they would mark their spears for the deaths of who they had killed and all this and they the government was like we're going to go in there and kill them and so nate saint and all these other missionaries they said we were going down there and when they went they were trying to reach others nate's sister was already there her name was rachel she was already a missionary not to these indians but another set uh of indians and uh he told her that I want to reach the Akua Indians. I want to reach the Warani uh, tribe. And she was like, they're very vicious. They will not allow any person to come and to be with them in their village, they won't allow them to come. So Nate was so smart that he actually rigged up this plane in a way, and I love people that kind of are uh, ingenuitive, you know, but he rigged it up to where he had this this parachute style of bu- uh, basket or bag that he could let out and it would drop. And so he was dropping things off to them like uh, uh, corn mills and stuff like that, was dropping things off like uh, pots and pans and was trying to reach them by giving them a gift. They actually, the uh, while Ronnie... Uh, Indians actually thought that this was a giant would-be that was flying around, and uh, yet yeah, big yellow would-be, and so they would drop down. But Nate was so smart, he finally figured out him and Jim Elliott, because uh, Jim lived in another area. He flew over, and he knew if he could drop that basket with that rope, that if he could fly that plane in circles, and where he dropped it because of the, uh, the, the force there that would go around, that it would keep that gyro. It would keep that, that bucket in the center down there as long as he kept making circles and making circles. And so he tried it and lowered down a radio to talk to Jim one day and lowered down the basket and they got video and pictures of him. He's talking to him, you know. And Nate was so excited. He was like, finally, Jim, finally we can go and we can drop things off to the Wairon and they can also maybe send something up to us. And so they begin to do that. And then they spent from 1948 all the way up to 1956 doing that with all the intentions of doing something greater. And that was they wanted to confront these Indians, the cool Indians, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they prayed around October of 1956 or 1955. They went out there and they were praying and they were saying, we need to go, it's time. Because Nate flew his airplane in there every day. And finally he found a strip by the river and they called it Palm Beach to where he could be able to land on that sandbar. And they brought him in. And Nate went back four times and was bringing loads in and load and load and loads after loads. But before he went, listen to me, before he went, his little son was about eight years old at that time. And Steve came to his daddy and said, Dad, when you go to the Wawarani Indians, you'll have guns, right? And he said, Son, we will. We'll have them just to maybe shoot up in the air or to shoot any food that we may need. He says, Dad, if they come and attack you, won't you shoot them? he said, I can't, son. And he said, why? He said, because when I die, I'm going to heaven. But they're not. And Steve Saint watched his daddy as he flew away. And in January the 8th, 1956, they landed there. And two women Indians of the Wawarani tribe and one male Indian of the tribe came out to meet them. This is one of them, uh, Mitkano. And they, they ate together. They grilled hamburgers. All that. I mean, that's, that's what a missionary should do. You should take hamburgers to the world. They went out there, and they did all of those things. But this man here was in an affair with one of the women. And when they went back, they got caught, and he lied about where he was and where he was at and flying in the plane. And they went back and speared all five of the men. They killed every one of them that day. And as they killed him, they took that plane and destroyed it all to pieces. But Nate Saint is probably one of the most memorialized and remembered men. There was a man by the name of Jim Elliott, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Yadorin. And listen, they all went there, and this one Indian who speared Nate, his name was Minkayani. And Minkayani was probably the most youngest but most angry and bitter and wicked one of them all. And he's the one that took the spear and he killed Nate Saint. He's also the one that went and speared Jim Elliott. Those were the two that he killed. Jim Elliott is somebody that was the missionary of it all. He was the one that he knew all the things of Scripture educated man, but Jim Elliott, listen to me, don't turn me off just yet, but Jim Elliott also was one that could have achieved and went anywhere in any church in the United States, and God called him to go to the Akua Indians. And I want to read you something that's probably the most important part of the message today from Jim Elliott's diary. He said, our dreams are tawdry, showy, but cheap and poor quality when they are compared to the leading of God. They are not worthy of the aura of wonder we usually surround them with. God only doeth wonders, and his hand can work nothing less. In my own experience, I have found that most that the most extravagant dreams of boyhood have not surpassed the great experience of being in God's will. I believe that nothing could be better. His will is always bigger than we ever bargained for. But we must believe that whatever it involves, it is good acceptable and it's perfect father he wrote this on october father let me loose the clutch on everything temporal my life my possessions lord help me release the tension of my grasping hand open it as christ's hands were open to receive the nail at calvary that i might be released from all that binds me god saturate me with all of the spirit that i may be aflame I seek not a long life, but a full life, one like you lived, Lord Jesus. Surely those that know the great compassionate heart of God must deny their own loves to share in the expression of his love to other people. Compelled by his call from the throne above, from those that are round about the throne, even to the souls that are damned below, he said, I dare not stay home while other people perish. It makes me boil... When I think of the powers we profess and the utter impotency of our action, we are spiritual pacifists in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in the high places. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon and money, and the tombs themselves are not colder than our well-fed churches. Their condemnation is written on the dust that lies upon their Bible covers. We are content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchanged. Young men are going into the profession fields because they don't feel called to go to ministry. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. We need a stirring. May God send us forth because he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I pray to the Lord that you will give a hollow, a hallowed, daredevil spirit in lifting the sword of truth consuming your passion that is called by the culture of christianity fanaticism known by god as that saintly madness that led his son through bloody sweat and hot tears to glory how long dare we go on without passion and without love not long i pray lord jesus not long The Bible says in Mark 8, verse 35, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. You may think that soldiers in the past have given their lives for nothing. But look at what we have in freedom. Look at what we have in liberty today because of that very action of a young man or a young lady today that is doing that. You may think that the lives of Jim Elliot and Nate Saint could have been used better. Why would you go to someone like that? They called Jim Saint a fool and said, You're a fool for leaving all of the stuff that you could earn in America and the business positions that you could have. And he said, I'm no fool. He said, I'm not sitting by while others are sitting in the darkness. That's us. That's us. Church is not just about come, feel good. It's about a mission that you have. Let me share this last thing as Brandon comes on. Gets ready for invitation. I hope that you're ready and that you've prepared your heart for invitation. And Kayani was the man that speared Nate Saint. Steve was his little boy. And as a little boy that was about 10 years old, he went back to the mission field with his Aunt Rachel. And as they went there, they stayed in the village with Minkanyani and Kimmo and all these other Hurani uh, uh, Indians, Akua Indians, Huani tribe. And when they stayed there, they were terrified because others would come in and surround their village and would be yelling and hollering, ready to come in and spear them. And one man, Kimmo, he said, I'm not going to spear. Since I've given my life to Christ, I'll kill no man anymore. He said, I give my life to him. He said, I follow his carvings now. What he was talking about was whenever they would run for their lives, the father of that tribe would carve into the bottoms of the trees so that the kids would know which trail to go because they always killed and moved, killed and moved, killed and moved. And he said, I now follow the carvings. (laughs) Listen, y'all are not getting it, but man, that's good to me. He said, I now follow the carvings of my father, talking about how the things in the Word of God were carved in. And listen, Minkanyani was mad and bitter and didn't want anything to do with it. And The village had sickness that come in, all this stuff. But eventually, Minkanyani accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Little bitty Steve Saint, they called him Stevie Boy. He went back when his, when his Aunt Rachel died. And when he went back, they asked him to live among them. Kanyani now, he took Steve back on the trip. They went on the canoe ride. He took him all the way to Palm Beach and he dug into the side of the bank and he revealed a piece of that airplane. And and little Stevie said, This is where it happened. This is where my father was speared. And Menkanyani confessed and said that he had killed his father. He said, But I've never seen any man accepted into heaven while he was still alive. Menkanyani had an experience where he saw God receiving that Nate Saint, as he was going away, he said, I never met a man like him before. Kanyani, you know what happened? Steve Saint got saved, and Kanyani baptized him. And Kanyani now, right now, is known as Steve. He calls him, he's my father. Steve's little children, Minkanyani is called grandfather, and grandfather baptized them, and he lives among them. Let me tell you something. We could go through some of the most hurtful and disappointing and discouraging and dreadful times of our lives. And we could sit back and go, I quit, God. But understand this. When we are finished with our testimony, that's when God will call us home. No sooner and no later when our testimony is finished, we'll go home. And we need to be convicted to the point where we should not sit in our churches while people sit in the darkness. Amen. If that doesn't stir you, there's nothing, nothing I have, nothing I have more to say that could. Thank God for a missionary like Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. We shouldn't keep our lives, but we should lose our lives for the gospel's sake. Amen. Will you pray with me? Let's stand together. Brother Brandon's going to sing.